Good morning. We are thankful that you are here this morning. Our crowd is certainly uh, a little lower than we're used to. I was thinking we've got a, a lot of folks doing a number of things. We've got some who are traveling, uh, some who are sick, some who are on vacation, and various numbers of things just out of town. But we're thankful that you're here this morning. Hope that you can be back with us again this evening. Bob mentioned if he, if he missed anything that I would pick it up. And he came to me and said that uh, there's a mention in the bulletin of a baby shower. Uh, for Baby McCree that's on the way, uh, send a Pat Blankenship, great-grandchild that's coming. There's a table here in the fellowship hall. We wanted to be sure and announce that. If you'd like to bring a card or, or gifts by, you can leave it there, and it'll be set up for the next few weeks. The other thing I was going to mention to you was uh, that I'd given him the note about Miss Beverly. She had texted me on Friday night to tell me that she had fallen, and, and I'll just say that she can certainly use our prayers because uh, she was saying she's not really able to walk or get up at all. She thinks she's really, really hurt her knee, and they'll find out more on Monday. Uh, but, of course, she's trying to care for Duck as well. Uh, and with his uh, mental state and not understanding, he's forgetting she's hurt and needing her help. So they're, they're struggling right now, and she could use our prayers, and we hope that, that maybe things turn out on Monday to not be as bad as she thinks they might be. If you have your Bible, you can turn to the 46th Psalm. The 46th Psalm. And we're going to look at that this morning. I told you last week that as we talked about Book of the Month, our Book of the Month Club on Sunday night, we talked about the Book of Psalms. We began last week by just talking about the first Psalm. And so this, uh, this morning we're going to move on forward and probably for the next couple of Sunday mornings as we go through the month of September, we'll just take a look at, at a few of the Psalms. Obviously there are 150 and we won't be able to cover them all. Some are smaller, some are longer, but there are certainly at least four that we could take and, and take some lessons from. We're going to read it together here in just a moment as we begin. I want to mention to you again as well, though, last, uh, last week I showed you a book entitled Hymns of the Heart by our brother Adam Fawn, who preaches up in Kentucky, and I, I've enjoyed that a lot. It's in my library, and so uh, if you would ever want to borrow any of my books, you're welcome to those, uh, to read through them. But it's been encouraging to me to read through some of the chapters he has written and some of the psalms he has studied, and, and I like to, to borrow that and use some of that this morning again. If you look at the 46th Psalm, let's, let's read it together here as it is not too long and it will set the stage for our thoughts this morning. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Now, if you have your bulletin in front of you and you've noticed the notes, the title of our lesson is God, our fortress. Depending on the, the version that you're looking at, you may see that there at the end of verse number 11 or certainly at the end of verse number 7. God is our refuge or God is our fortress. 
I want to turn to one other passage as we begin, but before we do that, a couple of notations are made on this particular psalm. If you were with us last Sunday night and you heard the lesson, or maybe you were able to watch later, you might have noticed that they, we talked kind of briefly about the headings and what those mean, or maybe it tells us who it was written by. Notice that this is considered a song. It says, to the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah, a psalm. So that it was more than likely meant to be sung. We have mentioned the idea of the psalms being poetry, and maybe that not every single one was meant to be sung. I don't know about you, but sometimes we sing every verse of every song and it gets a little long. I don't know that we would want to sing the 119th Psalm. We might be here all day if we sing all those verses, the longest chapter in the Bible. But maybe not every single one was meant to be sung, but certainly this one says it is a song. Notice as well there, if you have these headings in your Bible, that it is a song for Alamoth. The word Alamoth is translated damsels. So more than likely, this is, or at least it's possible, this song was meant to be sung by ladies only. Sung by ladies, or also it could be a bit of a notation to mean at a higher pitch. You think about a song that sometimes maybe has a, a higher pitch, it's a brighter tone, it's, it's a little more confident, it's a little more cheerful. So it's interesting to notice that this is a psalm. Number one, that was written by the sons of Korah, that's the author of this particular psalm. It is a song it meant to be sung probably and also possibly meant to be sung by ladies. Now, if you want to put your finger there or a, a ribbon or whatever and turn with me to the book of 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19. 2 Kings 18 and 19. Because the other thing that we would notice before we get into this psalm is that many people believe that it was likely written after the events in 2 Kings 18 and 19. Now, as you turn back there, you may notice in 2 Kings 18 that Hezekiah begins to reign. Hezekiah was the 12th king in the southern kingdom, and he was one that is considered to be good, or at least good for part of his existence. There were, not, there were no good kings in the northern kingdom. In the southern kingdom, there was kind of a handful, although not all of them were good the whole time. Some of them maybe started off with some trouble and then turned back to God, or maybe they started off with God and then they turned away. But Hezekiah is one of the good kings of the southern kingdom. And so in, in 2 Kings 18 and 19, he meets Sennacherib, king of Assyria. And we think it's believed that this psalm may have been written after Jerusalem had been miraculously rescued from the Assyrian king Sennacherib in 2 Kings particular verse, excuse me, chapter 19, verses 35 through 37. Do you recall what happens there? It's one of those tucked away kind of stories if you're not as familiar. But in verse 35 of 2 Kings 19, the children of Israel are facing 185,000 Assyrians. And I would ask you to imagine for just a moment before we get to the psalm, going to bed or attempting to sleep, some of us wouldn't have slept, with 185,000 people on the other side of the battlefield knowing that you were probably going to wake in the morning and lose your life, possibly, in this war. But it says in 2 Kings 19 and verse 35, And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. 
So it's believed that this psalm might have been written after this occurred. And we're going to talk about it a little bit later in the lesson for just a moment. But can you imagine, as the children of Israel waking up and finding 185,000 dead bodies? Our country took a moment yesterday and remembered a tragic day. We think about the number of Americans who were killed on that day, and that number seems astronomical to us. We can't even imagine thousands of people. Can you imagine waking up to an enemy, 185,000 strong, now lying dead on the ground, corpses everywhere, and realizing that you now have gained victory by a miracle of God, but also a little uneasy as you realize maybe what exactly has happened here. 185,000 soldiers killed by the power and the providence of God. We may, not, we may never go through anything so dramatic, but we can still know God's help when we go through great trials, when we are in trouble. And if you've not turned back, go ahead and turn back to the 46th Psalm. You know, it's interesting at the end of verse number one, the psalmist says, a very present help in trouble. Now, this may have been written after 185,000 people were dead on the battlefield. By a miracle, the power and providence of God. But that's not the only time that we can take comfort in God. That's not the only time we can be still and know God's help and turn to him. The psalmist says, a help in trouble. What's the trouble? It's different for you. It's different for me. We look around the world and there are lots of people who face trouble. Our God is a refuge and a strength, a fortress a very present help in trouble. Let's think about some of the verses here. The first three verses, verses 1 through 3, remind us of God's presence. God's presence. You see, that's one of the first things we often question, right? Where is God when all of these bad things are happening to me? Verses 1 through 3, or excuse me, verse number 1 in particular, describes three things. I didn't include these in your outline. If you'd like to make notes, you can possibly jot them down. But verse 1 describes three things about God that can help us when trouble comes our way. Number one, he is our place to go. We sing the song sometimes. Charles does like many do and will ask me sometimes earlier in the week if I have any, any song choices. And I did not give him this one. But we sing the song sometimes, where could I go but to the Lord? I love that song in particular. I love the melody. I love the song. It sounds very beautiful. I love to sing it. But I think I also feel a connection to that idea. I love to say and to sing, where could I go but to the Lord? Do you remember in John chapter 6, Peter asked the same question. Jesus looks at those gathered there and say, are you going to leave also? There are people who have turned their back on Jesus. And he says, well, you, are you going to go? Peter says, where else are we going to go? When you shrug your shoulders in disbelief, not understanding, Peter says, there's nowhere else to go. And we sometimes sing, where could I go but to the Lord? I love my spouse, I love my family, I love my friends, I love you as a church family. You can help me sometimes in trouble and trial, but where could I go? Honestly, where could I go but to the Lord? Whenever trouble comes, God is the place to go. And so we notice here, first of all, with the idea of God's presence, that he is our place to go. Number two, he is the power, he is the power in which we can grow. He is our strength when we think about that. That's the way he's described here. He is our refuge and our strength. 
The word that's used here in the Hebrew language, in the original language, sometimes, I think it's pronounced O's, deals sometimes is used to describe boldness. We can have boldness when we serve God and we turn to him. We don't have to worry about the trials of this earth and this life. It doesn't mean we don't sorrow. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle. But we truly can have boldness knowing that we serve him. He is the power. He is our strength. And then number three, when we think about God's presence, he is a presence to know. He is a very present help. As it says there at the end of verse number one, again, in the Hebrew language, it literally means or could be translated, he is found swiftly. He is a presence to know. We think about the Hebrew writer in Hebrews 13 in verse number five says, God will never leave us nor forsake us. He is a very present help. He can be found swiftly. We should find him quickly. And there is actually nothing. There's actually nothing that can change, that can change, that can take us away from God. That's comforting as we think about the presence of God. Number two this morning, we think about God's protection. God's protection. Verses four through seven, we're going to look at four things. They're in your outline there if you haven't. But there are four pictures that are given to us, if you will. In verses four, five, six, and seven. Four pictures speaking to the protecting nature of God. God is a protection, and we are thankful for that. Number one, we think, first of all, about the idea of streams. Verse four, he says, there is a river, or the psalmists say, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. We think about streams. Some people say that this may have described a river or the river running through Jerusalem. That's possible. But we also think of a river, a stream, we think about nourishment. And nourishment comes from what God does for his people. You think about someone lost in the woods, someone hiking or or someone out traveling around and that kind of idea, maybe out in the wilderness. And oftentimes we're told, or the idea is if you get lost, you go find a stream. You know you've got water, you have a source, and more than likely you can find your way to civilization from there. There is protection, there is nourishment in water and in a stream, and nourishment comes from what God does for his people. And notice the verse even says there, those near God are glad. There's protection in streams, and that's the first picture here. Number two, there is the idea of sunrise, sunrise. When we go back to 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19 just a moment ago that we looked at, you don't have to turn back there, but, but 2 Kings 19 at the end of the chapter, those people awoke. They awoke at sunrise and they surveyed the land and there were dead bodies as far as they could see. They awoke at dawn, dawn and that's exactly what they found. And we think about us, we appreciate a beautiful Sunrise. Some of you enjoy, like our family does, going to the beach and sitting there and enjoying a beautiful sunrise. It's encouraging. It reminds us that that good things are coming, that another day is coming. Maybe beautiful weather is coming. And we think about the protection, the good ideas, the good vibes even that we get from the idea of a sunrise. Those people awoke to a sunrise and they had gained the victory through God. It helps to remind us that because of God's protection, That yes, we do face suffering. 
I cannot protect you. The elders here cannot protect you. None of us can stop suffering. We cannot stop death. We cannot stop sickness. We cannot stop financial trouble. But we can remind you that, yes, even through sunrise or through the the terrible things, there is sunrise. God does allow suffering, but it will not last forever. There will be a sunrise. It will come, and we can be protected by him. We will be protected by him if we will follow after him. Number three, we think about speech. Verse number six says, The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, but he uttered his voice, and the earth melted. God is more powerful than all the things that are listed, if you're still there in your Bible, in the first three verses of the 46th Psalm. The idea of the earth or the mountains or the waters, almost of the trembling of the earth because of the trials. God is more powerful than all of those things that are listed there. Anything that stands against God's people will not stand forever. And merely his voice can and will change that. We sometimes wish that he worked that way. We look back at 2 Kings 19 there. We say, oh, it'd be great if God just defeated all of our enemies. And if he worked in that kind of miraculous way today. He does not. But merely his voice can and will change things. He certainly has the power. And his voice, through his voice, the earth melted in this sense, in this idea. And we can take peace knowing that that offers protection for us if we are faithful to him. And then number four, the idea of stronghold. This is verse number 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. Again, depending on the version that you're looking at, the God of Jacob is our fortress. He is our refuge. God is our refuge. I believe that's the New King James, our fortress, the King James, or maybe even the English Standard Version. Something that cannot be easily overrun. I don't know about you, but I, I like castles. I, I enjoy castles. I've had a, uh, been blessed with a couple of opportunities to visit overseas and, and see a few, but they're always fascinating to me, even not even if you've not visited one. Maybe you like the idea, movies, TV shows, or something, or just pictures, but it, it's, it's fascinating to me to imagine being there when those were, were in action, we might say, when there were wars being fought. There are people inside trying to stay protected, people outside trying to attack. But they are fortresses, they are castles, they are refuge, places that people can go. And God is our fortress. He cannot be easily overrun. We think about some of those castles, again, even in areas like like Great Britain and all, that have lasted for, for hundreds of years. They are strong. They are not easily defeated. God is our fortress. He is our protection. And we are thankful for the psalmist. We're pointing that out for us even here. We would notice in the third place of our major points, God's power. Verses 8 through 9. He offers us his presence. He offers us his protection. But he also offers us his power. Verses 8 and 9. Come behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. The words thus far, notice verses 1 through 7, the words thus far are enough to trust in God. I mean, the psalmist could have cut it off there. They could have said, oh, we're done, we're good, we'll stop right there. But just in case, let's go a little bit further. And just even for our sake this morning, let's go back, go back down memory lane just a little bit. 
Do you remember in Psalm chapter 20 and verse number 7? Psalm 20 and verse number 7. The psalmist would say, some trust in chariots. And some trust in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. When you think about through time, there are many people who put their trust even in 185,000 soldiers. But we go back to Exodus 14. We think about the Red Sea. God wiping out an army as the children of Israel are able to cross. We think about Judges, excuse me, Joshua chapter 6, Jericho, an impenetrable city, a fortress, if you will, with walls. People probably standing on top laughing at those marching around a city. And yet the city fell. Joshua chapter 6, Judges chapter 4, we think about the great battle won by Deborah. Judges chapter 6 and 7, we think about the great battle won by Gideon. We're talking in our Sunday morning class about 1 Samuel 17, and we talk about David and Goliath. God's people have always been underdogs. And while, yes, it's true, God's people have been defeated from time to time because God has allowed that to happen, it's by the power of God that they have won the victory. We could spend the rest of the morning going past the Red Sea and Jericho and Gideon and David, and we could list so many other things where by God's power, his followers have not only survived but then thrived. And verse 9 here of Psalm 46 reminds us that God does it. He makes wars to cease. He breaks the bow. He burns the chariot. It's not in man. It's not in man. It's in the power of God. And we are thankful for that even this morning. To know that we can partake in that power. That yeah, we kind of wish, again, like we said, we kind of wish that some of the miracles still happened and all of our enemies were just wiped off the face of the earth. But we can stand in God's power, even today. Which leads us to the last two verses, and that is God's place. You know, it's, it's funny. It's kind of humorous. I, I don't know if you ever thought about the 46th Psalm before, but even as we've talked about it this morning, the first nine verses are caught up in war and in warfare. And if it was truly written after the events in 2 Kings 19, then all of these, are, all of these words are thought about in light of battle. This idea of trembling, this idea of, of the desolation, of the wars, the chariots, the bows, all of these things. And amidst all of these things, the psalmist says, Be still and know. Be still and know that I am God. God says, I will be exalted. We try to point out notes for you from time to time from the text. In verse 10 is one. Depending on the version you have, you may see that I will be exalted among the nations or I will be exalted among the heathen. I think it's the King James Version in particular that may say the heathen there in verse number 10. But the word is, is better translated nations. Why is that important? Why would we take time to mention that? Well, mainly because if we're not careful... What we will sometimes do is look at the word heathen and then we'll say, well, it's only those who are against God. You know, it's only those who are trying to cause trouble for God. Only those heathens who will face God in that way. 
But the word is probably better translated nations. And it's a reminder that this is not a verse of vengeance. God is not saying that I am in charge and I will be exalted and I will have vengeance on those heathens. No, the verse is probably better for us a reminder that he will be exalted among all people. I think it was Wednesday night in our Bible class, Miss Brenda Shipley brought up that we, we talked about the little, little words of the Bible, the idea of but, B-U-T, or, or all, all people. That's pretty powerful. It's very small, but it's very powerful to think about the idea that God will judge, he will be exalted among all people. And notice here, his place is on high, but it's also near. We think about God being in heaven or on high, but at the same time, he says, I will be exalted in the earth. And it's interesting to consider our last point here. As you jot down here, if you have your outline, this particular phrase, the idea of Jehovah Savah, which is what is said at the beginning of verse number 11. His place is on high, but it's also near. And verse 11 begins, the Lord of hosts is with us. Jehovah Savah literally means the Almighty over that which goes out. Let me make sure I make this clear. The word, the phrase there literally means the Lord Jehovah of hosts Savah literally means the Almighty who is over that which goes out. Savah was often used for an army that was sent out to warfare. And the writer, the psalmist here, is saying that all these wars that they've been writing about are under the control of the mighty hand of God. He is the Lord of everyone who goes out. However, the interesting thing about this phrase is that God doesn't leave when the army does. Though the army may go out, God is still Savah with us. Somehow the omnipresent God is able to be over the armies as they march out to war and still be at home with those who are there at home. He is with his people wherever they may happen to be. Jehovah Savah. God is with us. God is our refuge. God is our fortress. You know, the, that idea is carried forth into the New Testament. John chapter 16 in verse number 33. Jesus says, in the world you will have tribulation." But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse number 12, Paul says to Timothy, Yes, and all, there's that word again, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All who live godly, are we living godly? Will suffer persecution. Trials are going to come. Jesus says, in the world, you will have tribulation. And then Peter even, in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 12, Peter would write to those and say, Beloved, do not think it strange. In other words, don't be surprised. Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. That's exactly what we do sometimes when bad things happen. We look at God and we say, why? Why is this happening to me? Well, guess what? Peter's already said, don't be surprised. You're going to face trials. You will suffer if you're living godly. You will have tribulation. But we go back to the words of Jesus. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. God, the Lord of hosts, is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. 
So as we conclude this morning, it's pretty clear and pretty safe to say we will have trials. Do we need to go around the room again? I, I say that sometimes, but I don't think we need to go around the room because I think we could cover almost everything if we went around the room because we all have already faced trials and will face more to come. The question this morning is, am I on his side? You see, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. What kind of trouble? doesn't really matter. In trouble. God is our fortress. We're thankful that the psalmist can remind us of that even after 185,000 are dead on the battlefield. And the psalmist can remind us that even through cancer, even through death, even through loss, even through struggles in this life. God is our fortress. Can you say that this morning? As we conclude this lesson, we'll be singing to encourage you to become a child of God because maybe you feel alone. Maybe you feel out there and that you have no one that you can turn to. That's not the idea of the Bible. That's not the message of the 46th Psalm. We can turn to God if we are a child of His. This morning as we are about to sing this song of encouragement, if you have not been baptized for the remission of your sins, we'll be singing to encourage you. If you want to know more, we'd gladly study with you even this day or as soon as possible because it is that important that you would put Christ on in baptism, allow His blood to wash away your sins, so that the Lord can add you to his church. We put the references up here. But do you realize that in Acts chapter 2 verses 41 and 47. The same thing that happened there can happen this morning. If you need to become a child of God. We'll be seeing to encourage you. Or maybe you are a child of God but you wandered away. We are thankful that God is still our fortress. That we can take our strength in him. But maybe you're here this morning and you still feel alone. You still feel out there on an island like you're struggling because you have not fully trusted in him. You have not been living faithful to him. We're thankful for the opportunity as well to sing to encourage you that you would repent of your sin, confess your sins even before this audience if you are in need of that in a public way so that we can pray with you and for you and encourage you as you go through this life. We are thankful that God is our fortress. We're thankful for the opportunity to sing to encourage you this morning. If you need to make a change, would you do so now as we stand together and as we sing?